Welcome back to the last episode of the Fab Lab Podcast. 2022, that is, ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, stone shop owners from across the fruited plain. This is the Fab Lab Podcast, and I'm your host, Aaron Crowley. This is episode 157. It is the last episode, but only the last episode of 2022. Boy, an entire year behind us and a brand new one right in front of us. This is episode 157. Why is the stone business so hard? That's the topic that I want to cover today. Now, many times over the years since I started the Fab Lab podcast, I thought about sitting down, hitting record, and just venting, ranting, and raving about the things that drove me crazy about running a stone shop. And a couple of things on that. Number one, it wasn't just... The things that were frustrating, the typical customer issues, the typical, you know, process issues, the typical HR and employment issues. I'm talking about the fundamental underlying aspects or what I would consider flaws in our industry. And and I, what, what kept me from doing that is that there was never any real constructive purpose to that. I always would get to the point where like, what is the what's the real point here? If you're just going to vent, if you're just going to stir up emotion that's negative and doesn't really result in any constructive progress or, you know, insight into how to improve things, you're just, you're, you're really doing more harm than good. It's really going to be counterproductive to the goal of the Fab Lab podcast, which is to inspire, encourage, inform, assist, help stone shop owners improve their businesses. But in this episode, I think I have finally arrived at an angle, a take on why the stone industry is so hard and sharing it in such a way that it actually is constructive. Um, and more than that, that it is honoring to those who are running businesses in the stone fabrication industry. And, you know, I sold my shop a year and a half ago, and so I've, I'm a little bit removed from that. But I still spend a fair amount of time talking with owners and out, you know, with owners Actually, I spend a lot of time out on install, helping guys integrate the no-lift install system into their install departments. And so I am in stone shops on a fairly regular basis. And so it stirs up some of these frustrations. And even though I am out of it, I still find myself extremely frustrated with some of these fundamental, what I consider to be flaws, inherent deficiencies in the stone business that make running a stone countertop company so incredibly difficult for the owners. And so in this episode, the angle I want to take is that by describing, by exposing really, by demonstrating the fundamental issues that make running a business so hard, I believe it is an honor to those of you who run businesses in this industry because it illustrates a couple of things. It illustrates, number one, just how hard you work every day, every week, every month, every year to keep your business running and to keep it successful. So number one, because this industry is so hard, those that do this work deserve an enormous amount of credit for persevering, for persisting, for continuing to build and run businesses in a really, really, really difficult industry. So that's number one. And number two, the practical benefit of, of exposing some of these fundamental flaws, and I think in some cases they're traps, by identifying those and exposing those, you as a fab shop owner can identify that, kind of see how it plays a role in your business, and then with that conscious awareness of those fundamental issues, in some cases I consider them deficiencies and flaws in the business itself and the overall industry, you can mitigate those, you can plan, you can evolve, you can adjust your business to reduce the effects of those flaws 
on your business. So as you build a successful business that not only is successful in and of itself, but it also provides you with a life outside of work. And so that's my, I am going to vent. I am going to rant. I'll probably even rave a little bit when I get into some of these issues that have, you used to just frustrate me to no end. And as I find, they still frustrate me enormously because I find so many hardworking stone shop owners who still have to contend with them. And it just, uh, it, it kind of drives me crazy. And so I want to expose them and I want to encourage you. I want to affirm. I want to honor you, fellow fabricator, stone shop owner, for continuing in this business because it's hard. So now where do I get the baseline? Where, What perspective do I have that uh, essentially credits or validates my perspective? Who's to say that the stone industry is hard or not? Maybe it's easy. Maybe every other industry is harder than manufacturing granite and quartz countertops. Well, today I am going to demonstrate specifically why it's so hard but let me give you a little bit of kind of background i own two other companies now they're both stone industry related but they are not fabricating and they are in somewhat distinctly different parts of the industry number one i have fabricators friend so we have a product line that we developed but we don't manufacture we have two companies here in the u.s on the west coast that manufacture our product line actually we're about to we're about to add a third product line i'm just getting ready to send the samples out to all the buyers of all the stone tooling suppliers in the industry so we'll be launching a third product from a third manufacturer but We have somebody else manufacture those product lines for us. We don't even sell them. We just simply distribute them to the resellers, to the Grand Courses, the Braxton Braggs, the Tritons, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We are a distributor. We are a a middleman, if you will. And so that is a business model. It's very standard, very common. Many, many, many businesses fit that criteria. And I'm here to say, being somebody who just brokers work, and is the middleman between a manufacturer and a reseller is, is, is entirely different than manufacturing and installing countertops. In addition to that, I own no lift. And we are a true manufacturer. We have an engineer on staff. All of our specs are done on CAD 3D drawings. We send those to the metal suppliers. They laser cut high, high, high precision sheet metal companies doing that work for us, laser cutting the parts, you know, CNC breaking and bending all the parts for us. We have a robot welder. We have powder coat companies. So it's a it's a semi-high-tech. It's not like super high-tech, but it's a relatively high-tech manufacturing business. But we build the same product over and over again. We're not building a new device every day. We are building the exact same product and assembling it and shipping it every day. So that is a manufacturing company, even though granite and quartz countertop manufacturing and installation is still manufacturing. It's different. It's entirely different. And so with those two businesses, having ran a stone shop for 23 years and now having run these two other little businesses, I'm here to tell you that at least from that perspective, running a stone shop is is exponentially more difficult. There are so many more variables at play in running a granite and quartz countertop manufacturing company that are distinctly different than from distribution or from traditional manufacturing. And so with that background, I've, I've wondered, well, maybe it's just my lack of experience outside the stone industry, but I don't think so. And you're going to hear why what you do is so difficult and why I think, you know, I have, I have so much respect for fabricators because they do business in such, it's, it's kind of like the difference between, um, you know, 
sports teams. You know, some play down in Phoenix where it's warm. Some play on the, the the West Coast where it's moderate climate. And then you got people up in Green Bay that play in sub-freezing, snowing conditions. They're playing the same game, but the conditions are entirely different. And the you know the, the, the teams that play in those really harsh, harsh conditions, they're just tougher. They're just more resilient. They're willing to tolerate more pain, more discomfort <laughs> in the interest of playing their game. And the same thing is true about stone shop owners. And so fellow fabricator, stone shop owner, I share this with you for your insight. But more than that, I share this with you to simply honor and applaud you for the hard, hard work that you do showing up in your stone shop every day and running a great business. So with that, let's get into it. In no particular order, the following is why running a stone shop is so blinking hard. Number one, lack of standardization. There is no enforceable code. There is no code to enforce. That creates a dynamic where there are virtually no barriers to entry, and so you have this massive supply. You have this misperception that anybody can make granite countertops, and really anybody can because there is no standard that has been set that everybody has to meet, which would require a significant amount of training, guidelines, standards, guardrails, and code that is enforced to maintain a level playing field so that the outcome is consistent and predictable for the consumer, so the consumer is protected. That is not the case. The lack of code, the lack of standards, creates this Wild West nature of our industry, which allows anybody to do any kind of work they want to any level they feel like working to and calling it granite and quartz countertop manufacturing and installation. And so the consumer, unfortunately, loses because they perceive perhaps like plumbing and electrical and HVAC and maybe other code-related you know, uh, trades that there is a minimum standard of performance that has to be met, that everybody is working to that same standard. And so, yeah, it's a different supplier. Yeah, it's a different you know brand of the same material. Yeah, it's a different company doing the work, but the outcome's going to be the same. It's just a matter of choosing the provider. Well, it's real easy for the consumer to assume that, but nothing could be further from the truth. And the consequence of that, fellow fabricator, is that you have this massive supply. There are no barriers to entry. Slab suppliers will sell to any Yahoo that shows up with a pickup truck or they'll deliver it to any side lot or job site. If you can get it off the truck, put it on some sawhorses and cut it with a skill saw on the customer's driveway, you're a fabricator and installer and the customer loses and the legitimate businesses in our industry suffer as a result of that. They don't have the same quality standards. They don't have the same employment standards. They don't have the same safety standards. And as a result, because those standards are lower, their costs are lower, which means they produce that product at a lower cost, which puts downward pricing pressure. I'm starting to vent. I'm starting to rant and rave, and I'm only halfway through the first point. That aspect is what has diminished and degraded what used to be an extremely lucrative business in industry and trade. And it has been... Uh, unfortunately, diminished by the lack of standardization. That's number one. And the, the customer loses and the legitimate businesses who want to do work at a quality level, who want to do, you know, basically pay their workers' comp insurance, pay their taxes, maintain a safe working environment, which we're going to get to that later on. They struggle. They suffer 
because there is no code, there is no standardization, there is no apprenticeship, there is no licensing, there is no regulation that requires everybody work to the same level and the same standard. So the legitimate companies suffer as a result, and the hacks benefit. That's number one. That's why running a stone shop is so hard. No standards, no enforcement. Number two, granite and quartz countertop fabricating and installing is manufacturing, but it's custom manufacturing. And I even coined a new phrase in preparing for this. It is compound custom manufacturing. And this is why it is so hard. Let me tell you something. My sleeve and apron jacket and my new mat product line, we're building a custom product. It had to be designed. None of those products existed before we developed them. And so we had to we had to create them. But once they were created, we began to build the same, or our manufacturers are building the same product over and over and over again. Once the difficulties were unraveled and the, the, the challenges were overcome, now we got a product, now we got a way to make it, and now we can sell it. We're just making the same thing over and over. Same thing is true for Nolif. We're manufacturing the same product. It is not custom. Once the product is developed and the process is in place, it's not custom manufacturing. It's just manufacturing. So every time you make a widget or a product or a cart or a sleeve or an apron, the next time it gets a little bit easier because you gain skill, you gain efficiency, you gain the rhythm, and that comes back to benefit you. But in granite and quartz fabrication and installation, you never get the benefit of achieving that repetitive nature. Even on a hotel, even on an apartment, even on a condo complex where all the layouts are the exact same, you still have to template every single solitary layout because they're going to, mo- they, they, even if they're only different by a quarter of an inch, it's still a quarter of an inch. And that's enough to have the center lines off, the, or the overhangs off, to have things not line up for the stove. You know the, You know the game. So this is what I call compound custom manufacturing. Every single solitary job is different. And so achieving that rhythm is just that much harder. It's exponentially harder. Now, you can have a rhythm for the processes for doing the compound custom manufacturing, but you still have the inherent changes of this massive challenges of this massive variability within your manufacturing facility. The sales process scheduling process, the manufacturing itself, the installation, it's all variable. Now, I'm going to list off just a few of the things that make this unique. Compound custom manufacturing. Every single job's a different shape. Just like I said, a townhome, apartment, condo, even if the layouts are all identical, you still got to template them. So every job has a different shape and a different layout. Material variability. One day, let's just take quartz, for example. You've got a spectrum of quartz. Some are great. Some suck. Some are good depending on the day and bad. Other days, kind of unpredictable and hard to determine. You cannot build enough systems to essentially absorb that kind of variability, even within one product line, but you don't have just one product line. Then you got quartzite. Unbelievably unpredictable. Really hard, really soft, really veiny, really unpredictable. You got granite. Then you got different surfaces. Oh, you got, you know, polished. Well, that's pretty durable. Then you get a honed absolute in there and somebody looks at it wrong. <laughs> and now it's somehow got oil stains on it and they don't want to, you know, age the surface. And so now what do you do? How do you get that stain out of there? It just, the variability in the material itself, soapstone, marble, different types of marble, 
Now you got porcelain coming on the scene, and then you got people that are selling it, and then you got to manufacture it, and nobody's thought through the tooling or the process for how to manufacture it. Take the high, the, the I guess, decton for all intents and purposes. That comes on the scene, and all the fabricators are having to figure out, reverse engineer, and do all the research and development on actually how to make the stuff. Meanwhile, the manufacturer's selling the stuff down the pipeline putting it into the marketplace, getting everybody excited about it, but nobody has spent the time to figure out how to actually turn it from a slab into a countertop. So you have material variability that is absolutely insane. Then you've got the delivery. We have a truck that shows up at the dock. It's the same dock, the same company, the same process every day, the same route that the forklift takes from the staging area where our finished goods are stored to the dock where the truck is loaded, it never changes. Not the case with installing. You have a different distance to a different location. (laughs) Every single day. It's a different distance. It's a different neighborhood. It's a different region. It's a different geography. It's a different job requiring a different number of people. So not only is the distance and the place different every day, new job site every single day, the access differs on every single solitary job. One job, you roll them out of the trailer, roll them up the driveway, across a one-step threshold and into the work area. The next one, you've got a split-level home on a hill that requires an extra install crew to show up just to get those average-sized countertops up the driveway and up the steps and into the house. Then you, you add to that the variability in the layouts where you might get an awkward countertop safely and easily into a work area that's flat, you may not be able to get small, simple countertops into a really crummy access project. So you've got this variability, and and the multiplication of those variables is just insane, and that creates, I don't think we understand. We grossly underestimate the challenge that that creates in terms of scheduling our staff, in terms of allocating resources and coordinating where people are going to be. Yeah, maybe you've got two of those jobs, and oh, they happen to be in the same neighborhood. Well, that's great, but what if they are on opposite sides of the town? And you've got an hour and a half drive between one job site and the next, and both customers need it done. You just have massive variables. Customer expectations and education. Here's another variable. Because of that lack of standardization, you have this massive array of expectations that consumers have for the finished product. And if you're selling through a broker or through a contractor or through a remodeler or through a retailer, somebody else who is actually selling the countertop to that customer, you as the fabricator very often are given either expectations that haven't been communicated to you, expectations that haven't been communicated to the customer, or you've got a situation where unrealistic expectations have been given to the customer and then you find out about it only to realize, we can't do that, or that's going to be really difficult, or the consumer just has really, really unrealistic expectations from the outset. And because there's no standardization, because there is no code, because there is no bar that says, no, I've done enough, this is what the code is, and we have met the code. I'm sorry, Mrs. Customer, because you want to to increase the, 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 the degree to which the code is, you don't get to determine that. Well, because of that absence of standardization, that lack of regulation and code, oftentimes we have to meet ridiculously unrealistic expectations because you got to keep the customer happy. At the end of the day, that's what you got to do. And so you have this wide ranging degree of which customers expect that work to be performed to. Then you got edge details, all these different materials, all these different layouts, all these different surfaces. And then you got to throw in all these different edge details. Then you got different overhangs. They change on every job. 
Well, this customer wants a 12-inch. This customer wants a 13-and-a-half-inch. This customer wants a 16-inch overhang with steel supports. But this one didn't accommodate the cooktop. They didn't measure that when they built the cabinets. And so now somehow that is the countertop manufacturing and installation company's problem to catch that at template. This one wants square corners. The next guy wants a one-inch radius on the corners. The number of variables that change from job to job. So you start overlaying these. You start multiplying this. You're not adding them up. You are multiplying them. You see, if you've got five variables, it's not like, okay, I've got five variables. This variable plus this plus this. No, it's it's five times five. You have 25 scenarios that you have to have systems in place to accommodate to make sure that everybody gets what they want. Well, this customer wants an undermount sink. They want it flush with the bowl. Okay. Measure up technician makes that note. Hopefully it gets through to production and they program it accordingly or they cut it accordingly or get the template accordingly to make it flush. But the next customer wants a reveal because that's what the template in the box shows. But then the customer after that wants an overhang for whatever reason. So at the same exact sink on three different jobs, you could have three different what would be considered very, very minor details that could could with the wrong customer with the wrong expectations sink the job you might be ripping that kitchen out because you had an overhang into the bowl or a reveal on the sink when they wanted an overhang my goodness fellow fabricator that's why it's so hard different appliances undermount sinks faucet layouts appliances on site here's a scenario (laughs) tell me if this is a drive you crazy i'm not even in the business anymore and this drives me crazy Contractor has every single appliance, all the sinks, all the faucets, except for one. It was back ordered for whatever reason, and the major up tech couldn't document that particular faucet or sprayer or you name it. And because we need to know the dimension of that thing, they decide to have that thing sent to the shop. So you got four sinks and one range. 12 faucet holes all laid out. Everything's back at the job site except for one. And somehow this job site is an hour and a half away. And somehow that one faucet that needs to be measured gets delivered to the shop. But somehow that little detail, because it happens so infrequently, doesn't make its way to the measure up tech, the production manager, the install manager, or the installers. So they get all the way to that job site on a day when nobody has time only to realize that that one faucet they needed before they core the hole is back at the shop. My goodness, the number of details in this compound custom manufacturing, it's infinite. Truly, it is is infinite variability in the quality of the material, in the type of material, and in the details on every job, it changes and changes and changes. So now let's talk about material specifically because I think the material itself creates a degree of challenges for the fabricator and installer that no other producer in any other industry on the face of the earth has or is expected to deal with in terms of quality. With lumber, it's graded. There are systems in place, there are regulations in place that allow qualified and respected agencies, you know, players in the in the in the industry to grade the quality of the material that is being sold and distributed and used so that the people that have to work with that material have some reasonable expectation of the quality and what it is that they're getting and what it is that they're working with. It's like the opposite in the stone industry. And the fabricator virtually has zero recourse when they are given flawed, 
defective material, very, very oftentimes the fabricator is left holding the bag because there is no grading of the material. So what does that do to a a business? So you have material suppliers that have this unholy alliance with the retailers. And I think this is probably the single greatest injustice the single greatest flaw, and I'm calling out the slab suppliers, most of the big quartz manufacturers, and most of the big producers have given into this, and this has had created a dynamic downstream that makes running a legitimate business, a small mom-and-pop enterprise like I had for 23 years, insanely difficult. You have this unholy alliance, really what I would call collusion, between the slab suppliers and the retailers the companies manufacturing the material, and the people at the end of the system selling it. The big box stores, the designers, the contractors, the flooring stores, the brokers of the countertop that are dealing with the retail public collude with the slab suppliers to sell a specific product. And then they go find a fabricator who does not have the luxury of being able to go out and shop for an alternative source of material. Now, when I'm manufacturing sleeves and aprons and jackets... We have all kinds of producers that often produce to the same level. It's a known quality. The materials are graded, and we can shop between the people that produce those. And it's and it's it's a level playing field because you know your source. Same thing is true with the steel. The steel is all graded. It's a it's a science, and it's so specific it can be tested. And you have recourse if you are delivered material that's defective or flawed we're not required to go buy from some specific slabs you know steel supplier we get to go find the best steel for the best price to produce the best product well many fabricators aren't given that luxury because the slab suppliers are colluding with the retailers number one they're limiting the number of choices that the re- that the, the consumer has and number two they are setting the retail price and then pushing that back down so the fabricator in the middle gets stuck The material is chosen for him, as is the price, because what choice does the fabricator have when the customer has already selected it because of the collusion between the slab supplier and the retailer? So on the front end, your costs are fixed. You have no ability to go shop and compare and compete. So the slab supplier can charge anything they want. Material has already been selected, and the price has already been established. So at at the other end of the spectrum, the retail price is established, And the retailer is going to take their margin, their markup, their cut. They're going to get their cut for brokering the deal. And the fabricator gets stuck with what's left over. That, to me, that flawed dynamic in both of my other businesses, we developed a product. And I'm telling you, this is true across all industries on the face of the earth. You have the suppliers that, in a legitimate, established industry, those suppliers have to maintain a certain margin. Otherwise, they can't continue. They can't sustain the business. So they get their margin. Everybody in the business understands that. Everybody knows it. The suppliers got to make their markup so they can run a successful business. So they mark up the cost of their product to the manufacturer. The manufacturer also has to make a profit. They sell that to the distributor. Well, there are common, established, known distribution margins that the distributor expects to get. They distribute that to the retailer. The retailer also has a lot 
of the cost to bear. They've got to get the customer and they've got to supply it and they've got to deliver it. The retailers have an expectation of a certain amount of profit and markup and margin they're going to get on the products that they sell. And that's how the price is established. And ultimately, this it works back and forth. It kind of it, it sort of accordions back and forth between the consumer, the retailer, the distributor, the manufacturer, and the supplier. And it becomes this level, even playing field where, for the most part, everybody gets a predictable amount of margin and markup and profit if they run their business well. Not to say it's not competitive, because it surely is, because you have lots of choices. But those margins are established, and they build, and that is what essentially establishes the retail price. Cost of the material plus the manufacturing plus the distributor's markup plus the retailer's margin and profit establishes the retail price. For people who are doing business stuck between the suppliers who are colluding with the retailers, they don't have the luxury of saying, hey, I've got all of the cost, I've got all of the overhead, I've got all the capital equipment necessary to actually convert that slab into a finished product so that the customer will pay the retailer for it, and all the risk. And yet the fabricator that is stuck in what I used to call the broken model, not the broker model, but the broken model, and this is why it's broken, the fabricator that gets stuck in this broken system does not have the luxury of taking the material taking their costs plus the profit that they need to make and passing that on to the distributor or the retailer who then marks it up accordingly and establishes the retail. If that was the case, countertops would probably be, I don't know, 25 to 50% higher in cost so that the fabricator who has all the risk and required to make all the capital expenditures and take upon himself all of the difficulties of getting that countertop installed, they would have their margin as well, just like the supplier has just like the distributor has, just like the retailer has. And so that's another one of the reasons. That, and so for the companies that are stuck in the middle of that, it's just it's, it's, it's a very, very difficult business dynamic. But worse than that, it still affects the people that choose not to operate because it establishes the retail. It artificially lowers the retail price. If it wasn't for that dynamic, if the slab suppliers sold to the fabricators who sold to the resellers who then sold to the retail public, if that margin and markup built accordingly, you would see a much higher retail price for granite and quartz countertops. It's just the way it would work. And you would see in the same way that you see it, every other industry on the face of the earth. Are pickup trucks more expensive today than they were three years ago? Are houses more expensive today than they were three years ago? Is your slab material more expensive than it was three years ago? The answer is yes, yes, yes. But let me ask you this. Are you able to charge more than you were three years ago? Maybe a little, but I, I would I would imagine that your markup and margin and price for this product, it continues to be driven down because of the competitive nature, the lack of barriers to entry, and the number of people that are selling this product, and this dynamic, this collusion between the suppliers and the retailers who are artificially establishing a retail price and driving it lower and lower or or at least depressing its ability to grow. The rate at which it should be growing, so even if it's growing at a slower rate than all of your cost, it's still downward pricing pressure. So to me, I'll just say it, the slab suppliers, 95% of the quartz manufacturers and a couple of the big, big, big players in the granite and you know, natural stone slab distribution, they've killed the industry for the small, average, mid-sized fabrication company. They have colluded with the retailers, 
And it has created such massive pressure on the small producers, the people that are building legitimate businesses in this industry, they have made it exponentially harder than it should have been. So I'm calling you out, slab suppliers, you quartz manufacturers, you hacks who have colluded with the retailers, the big box stores and the brokers and the flooring stores in this industry, you have helped to destroy what used to be, not destroy, I'm I'm venting, I'm ranting, I'm raving a little bit, on behalf of the small mom and pop shops that are trying to build legitimate, sustainable fabrication companies. I thought this might happen. So, Slab suppliers colluding with retailers. Have I covered that sufficiently? Now let's get into safety. You look at electrical, you look at HVAC, for example. You look at excavation, you know, the dirt work, the utilities. You look at the concrete work. You look at the um, even the roofing. A lot of the trades associated with building that have code enforcement, that have required training, that have apprenticeships, that have licensing, journeymen. You know, certain levels of competency that have to be proven before you can be given permission to go do the work at the level that has been established and agreed upon by the people in that industry that is necessary. Well, when you have those kind of codes and those kind of regulations and those kind of standards, guess what always accompanies that? There is a built-in margin for safety. Because those industries, those trades understand that if you leave a Wild West environment for people to work in, guess what gets cut? For the companies that are not legitimate, for the companies that don't do business in a good faith, honorable manner, safety is one of the first things to be thrown out the window. And so those other industries, those other trades, because they have the code and the standards and the pricing that continues to increase because they allow the wages to increase along with inflation – which maintains the adequate pricing, so pricing adjusts to inflation at the retail level or at the consumer level, you've got a built-in margin to also accommodate, in addition to the standards for performing the work, you have the standards for safety also added in. You have the training, you have the reinforcement, and you have the enforcement of Now, obviously, OSHA exists to try and make up the difference between uh, uh, trades and industries that don't regulate themselves, like the granite and quartz countertop manufacturing and installation business. So you have companies that, number one, aren't working to a quality standard. You can probably rest assured, know that if they're not meeting quality standards, they're probably not meeting safety standards either. And so to keep the business viable at a lower retail price, they've got to cut costs. So they may not pay their workers' comp insurance. They may not pay their taxes. And guess what? They probably aren't investing in equipment or processes or time that makes it a safe work environment either. And so what happens? The companies that are doing it legitimately, that are trying to run a successful business, a legitimate business, a safe business, they are at a disadvantage because they have to compete with companies that don't have to meet those standards, that aren't are choosing not to incur those costs of maintaining a safe work environment, which makes it that much more difficult. So let's just talk a little bit about safety. I did a little series on safety. Let's review. So for the companies that want to handle their slabs safely, you got to have more time. You got to have the proper equipment. If you haven't invested in a 
level surface to unload those slabs with proper, you know, whether it's a forklift with a boom or an overhead crane or a jib crane. And you don't have space. You don't have square footage and you don't have the racking systems that you've invested in. You're using old rotten wood A-frames that, you know, court slabs were delivered on 10 years ago and they've been sitting out in the moisture for 10 years and you're dropping there on an unlevel gravel surface and you got people, customers and employees walking between those A-frames versus somebody that has poured a slab, (laughs) bought a forklift or bought a crane and has put in real legitimate racking to safely store those slabs. The companies that are doing it right, they're at a disadvantage. The hacks that are putting their their employees and their customers at risk, they've got an advantage because their costs are lower. What a disgrace. And the fact that our industry doesn't have that kind of standardization puts legitimate fabricators at a disadvantage. Number two, the silica, same thing is true. The costs are a little bit higher. The processes are a little bit more involved to mitigate and eliminate silica. And this one's coming, folks. Unfortunately, I don't know how long the hacks are going to be able to operate under the radar. It'll probably always happen to some degree. But the companies that want to make a, not just meet the OSHA requirements, but to create a safe working environment, you've got to invest. You've got to have technology and processes in place that reduce and eliminate that dust. In addition to that, you have to test. You have to verify and validate. Those, those new standards are coming down the pike to mitigate silica. I listened to a, a, a radio program the other day. Australia, apparently, there are a number of articles on this right now. Australia is considering banning the fabrication and installation of quartz slabs. Now, is that going to happen? I don't know. But they consider it dangerous enough to at least to be considered a product that should be banned outright in their country. Why? Well, because the workers are at risk and probably because too many companies didn't invest in the processes and the technologies to keep the dust down. And so because they didn't govern themselves, because they didn't regulate themselves, because there weren't enough legitimate fabricators doing what was right to reduce and eliminate that dust in the air, They're just going to have to ban the product altogether. And so we've got same thing going on out in the field. You got companies that'll send a crew all the way across town to help put an awkward countertop in. You got one company that's willing to do that because they care about the the well-being and the safety of their installers. And they just know we shouldn't ask two guys to put that countertop in. Okay, let's try and coordinate. There's a cost associated with that versus the companies that send their installers out with inadequate tooling and inadequate manpower and basically just expect and demand. Maybe they subcontract it. Not my problem. Your physical health isn't my concern. What you do to yourself at this low price is your problem, not mine. Same thing is true. I was told that in the RV, win- or I'm sorry, in the windshield replacement industry, which apparently is more regulated than the granite and quartz countertop industry, companies used to send out one installer to put in RV windshields. It was, it was very common. It was very just. It was just the way it was. And yet they had this chronic, consistent, predictable, measurable outcome that over time, guys that installed those RV windshields by themselves had workers' comp claims and debilitating physical injuries. And so OSHA mandated that those businesses were not allowed to send without mechanical assistance. You could not send one person. They had to pass regulations 
to protect the employees. Now, I'm sure there were companies that were sending adequate labor into the field to do that, but they were at a disadvantage. In the same way that companies that are working legitimately, because there is no safety standard for what is you know, reasonable for two people to carry into a work area, the companies that are taking care of their employees that are at a disadvantage, and it makes it that much harder. Now let's talk, I'm going to loop back on the material. Again, I said I wouldn't do this in any particular order. Let's talk about defective material. This also used to drive me absolute, this would enrage me, even with the suppliers that I loved and respected and had great relationships with the owners. This was one of the single most infuriating aspects of running a stone business that I cannot imagine exists anywhere else. The time bomb of defective material. Oftentimes it's quartz. The number of kitchens that we had to rip out at our expense once the supplier consented, agreed that the material was in fact defective and the the defects were not evident or visible at the time we inspected the slabs before we laid them out and cut them. The number of times that that happened and they were like, yeah, we agree. We acknowledge material is defective. And you know what we're going to do for you, Aaron? Here's what we're going to do. We'll give you two new slabs. Aren't you happy? Pat us on the back. Congratulate us. We're so kind. We're so helpful. We do business in such a phenomenal way. We're going to give you two slabs. But wait. The customer has a claim. The material is defective, which means their kitchen, their investment, the money they spent on those finished countertops, they deserve new countertops. And yet, the fabricator in good faith, inspected the slabs, didn't find any defects at the time of, of, of layout, fabricated and installed it in good faith. I now have to repl- I have to incur the cost of ripping out the existing kitchen, and I have to incur the cost of refabricating it because you and I'm supposed to pat you on the back and, and, and drop to my knees and thank you because you gave me two new slabs that probably cost you half of what I paid for them the first time? Are you kidding me? You think an HVAC contractor who installs a crane or carrier furnace that is proven to be defective three months after it's installed, do you think that HVAC contractor comes in there and does that repair work and that service work for free? Are you kidding me? You think an electrician who puts a range in and the range turns out to be defective all the electrician did was set it in place and hook it up. You think they're going to go out there and rip that thing out and replace it on their own dime? It's ridiculous. And yet, small mom-and-pop fabricators are expected to bear the brunt of defective material because it's not graded and because these slab suppliers have so much power and, quite frankly, they have so much margin and so much control. They don't take care of the fabricators that are doing the work. They don't ensure to make sure that the fabricator who has to replace a kitchen because of defective material, that is, that, that is again, you got you to gotta factor that. And we probably did that, I don't know, between one and three times a year. We would wind up ripping out and replacing a kitchen because of defective material where the defects were not evident at the time that we laid them out. And the, the slab supplier said, yes, we agree. The material's defective. Here's your slabs. Well, if you're agreeing that the material was defective and I couldn't detect the defects at the time of layout, that's all you'll do? That's all we'll do. Have a nice day, Aaron. Wow. 
you got to just factor that into your cost. You got to factor that into the plan. You got to factor that into your business. That is an inherent and unusually onerous expectation that fabrication companies incur in the interest of taking care of the customer. What are you going to do to the customer? You got a contract that you do a ton of work for? You're going to tell his customer that this project that they just did, $150,000 remodel, what are you going to do? What can you do as the fabricator in that situation? Well, the slabs, are you going to let a lawsuit? I mean, maybe you, maybe we should have. Maybe that's what was, was appropriate. But I don't think that's practical. That was never going to change the fundamental flaw that these slab suppliers take advantage of fabricators by acknowledging defective material and stopping short of paying us, at least covering our cost. Not to mention the opportunity cost. Now while I'm ripping that other kitchen out and replacing it, I'm not doing one profitably. So it's a double whammy. What a disgrace. What a disgrace. Oh, I don't know where to go from there. I did rant. I did rave. Fellow fabricator, stone shop owner. Those are just realities. Those are the realities that I faced for 23 years running my business. And that is why running a stone shop is so difficult. The challenges are so unique and quite frankly, in some cases, so overwhelming compared to other industries and other business models. I thought it was worth pointing out, number one, just so that you can identify those within your own business and to begin to build processes. We had to build really, really, really durable processes along the way to make sure that faucets didn't get left at the, at the shop to make sure that we inspected and caught defects and we returned slabs. If you were to call the slab suppliers in Portland, we returned so many slabs. We get those slabs in, we put them on the layout tables. We would inspect them because it made me so insanely furious when we miss something that should not have been delivered to our shop in the first place, makes its way through production, makes its way through installation only to be discovered at install and then have to replace that at our cost. We had unbelievable degree of scrutiny of those slabs before we would lay them out and cut them and we were when we'd find a defect when we'd even even the slightest hint that there was going to be a problem with the slab get back here pick your crap up and bring us something that will pass our inspection they just knew you deliver you deliver crap to us our inspection system at the beginning of the process i would much rather do that before that countertop is installed and i'm dealing with that really disappointed and upset contractor or customer I'd much rather deal with a pissed-off supplier who delivered crap material to me than have to deal with that after the fact and incur the cost of replacing it at my expense. So one of the things that we have to do to build successful businesses, we have to have systems and processes in place to overcome and to offset those challenges. Because the margins are so low, we can't afford to be doing jobs twice. <laughs> We can't afford to be ripping jobs out because it needed a one inch. It needed square corners, and we put a one inch radius on it. They wanted a an overhang, and we put a reveal on the undermount sink. We cannot afford, so we gotta have processes in place that overcome this. We gotta have the ability to develop a value proposition to our customers, so that we can circumvent. We can at least build a a size of our business, an aspect of our business, a percentage of our business, which is direct where we get to educate the customer. We get to take full margin at the retail price to maximize the profit on that job, which offsets the, 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 the minimal margin we may get on another job, working through a broker or a contractor or a flooring store, et cetera, et cetera. So there are things that we can do as fabricators, as stone shop owners, 
that offset these challenges. But make no mistake, fellow fabricator, what you do day in and day out, what you accomplish, staying in business, the fact that you made it through 2022 on its best day during the best year, this business is still difficult. It is still hard to run a successful business in this industry. So if you're still here at the end of 22, I congratulate you. I honor you. I respect, I have so much respect for you for what you do. And that is why I do the Fab Lab podcast. It's why I wrote my book, Less Chaos, More Cash. It's why when I've got time, I do coaching. The vast majority of the coaching I do is unpaid. (laughs) So that I can encourage, I can inspire, I can assist. I can share with you what I have learned over the 23 years that I owned my stone shop in the interest of you building a more successful business in, 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 the, in the essence of you being able to overcome these challenges. But more than anything else, I just want to congratulate you on running a business in this climate with those kind of challenges. That's why it's so hard. It is hard. It is a hard, hard business to succeed in. But fellow fabricator, if you're still showing up for this, if you're still listening at 40, it's hard to listen to me rant and rave for 48 minutes. But I hope that you have a better understanding, a clear understanding of what goes on in our industry and why it's so difficult. And as a result of that, the commitment in 2023 to identify your market, to build processes, to refine your business, to overcome these inherent challenges, some of these defects in the industry and in this trade that are just inherent, they're just part of the job. I don't foresee them changing. But for companies that set out to build a successful business that is a positive working environment for their employees, those employees will stick around. You build a safe working environment, those employees will be healthier longer and will stick with you. They will help you run your business. The degree to which you put processes in place, every time you run into a challenge, the answer is a process. The answer is a way to manage the business in such a way so that next time that challenge is overcome or that difficulty is avoided or at least reduced or mitigated. Focusing on the business side of this, you have to be business-minded to succeed in this industry, fellow fabricator. And I am so glad that you tuned into this episode here at the end. This is New Year's Eve. This is January, I'm sorry, December 31st, 2022, the last Day of the year, we got a brand new year in front of us. So, fellow fabricator, I have no intentions of slowing down. I will tune in with you next year for the next episode of the Fab Lab podcast. Until then, happy fabricating.